friends, welcome to episode five of Womankind. I'm here with my guest, Sarah Maciejewski, and um, I have a couple things to take care of before we get into Sarah's story. The first thing is, we're five episodes in, and I've really been drawing from the people that are in my life to interview at this point, and from that, I've realized that I've gotten a lot of similar perspectives because a lot of the people that are close to me are around my age and have grown up in the same area as me. Um, and so I would love to hear some other voices out there. So if you are interested in being a guest on Womankind, just go to the website. It's womankindpodcast.com and go to the contact page and you can write us an email and let us know that you're interested in being a guest on the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Another thing that I want to talk about before we get into our episode, this, this week, um, Womankind lost a very great member. Um, my grandmother, her first name is Marion, she actually passed away last week, and she was just such a model of, of a human being. She was there for everyone. She took care of her five children and then her 12 grandchildren, and she was there for everyone. She prayed for everyone. She was just a wonderful woman, and I just want to dedicate this episode to her this week of Womankind. Okay, I guess we'll have a moment of silence there. Um, okay, so moving on to our first discussion point here. Um, I just want to talk about something that has been kind of blowing up on Twitter a little bit and that people have been reacting to. There is a piece of art on Wall Street that has been added as of March 8th, and it's called Fearless Girl, and it's a sculpture by Kristen Visbal, and it is a sculpture of a little girl, and she is facing the bull on Wall Street. And so this piece of art, it was commissioned by State Street Global Advisors, which is an investment company, um, and it is met, it's meant to be part of a campaign that's meant to promote um, gender diversity in corporate leadership roles. Um, and so there's been a lot of reaction to it. Actually, within the past few days, the artist of the bull has come out and reacted to it and mentioned that he's a little bit upset because he doesn't like the bull being cast as a villain um, because the girl is kind of like confronting the bull. Um, the bull, which was placed, actually illegally placed on Wall Street in 1987, um, was meant to be a symbol of like virility and turning the market around. And um, this artist just doesn't like that it's now cast as a villain. And he also doesn't like that it's been commissioned by an investment firm because his purpose and his piece of art was um, to be subversive and put it there without permission. Uh, but this has been commissioned by an investment company. So he's a little bit wary of that and keeps and has called it a stunt. Um, and some other reactions that people have had is that it's meant to be this like symbol of female power. Um, but I think that we're very, very comfortable with girl power. Like I know that I, the way I was raised, my generation, we were taught that we could be anything, that girls could be anything. I mean, we grew up with the Spice Girls as our role models. And girl power is, is it's cute. It's not threatening. Um, but then when those girls grow into women, I think it becomes a much different story, um, which leads to the other thing that people are reacting to is that this 20-something um, man decided it would be a good idea to hump the statue. Um, and so obviously there has been some, some backlash about that, that that is just inappropriate and insane. So Sarah, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I'd like to, I think this is a good time for me to jump in. Actually, I did not hear about this situation that was going on because I have been kind of in a bubble and not been checking the news. Um, so Kelsey and I, we just talked about this today and I've had maybe, uh, geez, I don't know, 20 minutes or so to think about this and collect my thoughts. And just responding to your point about the artist, um, of the bull and how it was supposed to be the subversive act and how upset he is that it's become a symbol of negativity or violence or, um, a, the villain, not violence. Mm -hmm. Um, I just kind of take issue with that because as an artist, I think that 
he has to know that his art is a living and breathing thing. And it should, if it's, if great art is always contemporary, it should take on new forms as the times mm-hmm. change. And a, a bull is an angry animal. Mm-hmm. And when you're facing down a bull, it's because they are angry and villainous and violent. So I think that it's, um, I just take issue with that. That's probably his ego getting in the way more than respecting what art is capable of doing and the role that it can play in conversations that are really important to have. That's why you create art in the first place. So I, I take a little bit of issue with that. Um, so if he ever hears this, that's what I think. <laughs> and the other thing that I was thinking um, about the statue of a little girl is this is not just limited to the statue of the little girl. In any marketing campaign you see for women focused products, whether it's tampons or Barbie dolls or art products, toys, whatever, whatever. It seems to me that there is a trend on these marketing com- from these advertising companies where they always show little girls in adult women situations. So um, there was recently That's a Barbie campaign where mm-hmm. they showed um, girls pretending to be the careers that Barbie has been placed in. So you see a little girl playing a veterinarian and she's talking to an all adult audience about the problems that their dogs are having. Or you see a little girl playing the part of a professor because that's what Barbie does. And it's like, why not? Not that what I know that Barbie is targeted towards children, especially little girls, but, um, has there ever been an advertising campaign where women are showed in these unexpected roles in the same way that it, in the same way that it is unexpected to see a child in a classroom playing the part of a, a part of a professor, um, I think that it would be equally as surprising to see a marketing campaign that does feature women in those roles. But it's always little girls. Um, same thing with tampons. Tampons aren't just limited to young females. I mean, I'm sure there are seven year old women who wear tampons all the time and you see, um, maybe not 70. Well, I don't know. Maybe, well, if they're still, um, have their hormones going, they may be wearing tampons. So that's, that's an interesting question of biology, but let's say, let's say you're 40 and you're still menstruating. You might still wear tampons. You probably do. Um, so why is it that all of the commercials for Playtex show little girls in a soccer uniform saying that they can do it too. Like how about a woman in a, in the workplace, um, being super stressed out because she just like got her period when she was presenting at a board meeting Mm -hmm. or like a woman in a research lab who is going to like crack her Petri dish because she just realized that like Mm -hmm. she's bleeding in her pants. I don't know. That is something that I think is like really interesting. Why are we always featuring little girls in women's roles specifically, Mm -hmm. especially from a professional standpoint? That's what a lot of these advertising campaigns Mm -hmm. seem to depict. And does it go along? And does it go along with that idea that, you know, a, a woman in that role is threatening? I think that that might be where that comes from. And right, like it's cute, and the Barbie video specifically, and you know, I watched it and I responded to it, and I thought it was cute, but I think the reaction that it was trying to elicit was, oh my god, look at this cute little girl. She has these thick frame glasses on, and she's pretending she's a professor, and it's all like playing pretend, which is a beautiful thing. And no, women, adults in general, don't play pretend. You can after a certain age or, you know, it's, you're not going to bring home a paycheck um, for the majority of us, unless you're like a writer, movie maker or something. But, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's contingent upon the idea that you're pretending and what happens when you can't pretend that anymore and you want to be it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's where the discomfort from society lies. Um, because I mean, do we, women should just be in those roles. It shouldn't be that they have to like pretend or act or be portrayed in those roles. Um, but we don't see that. Yeah. And that actually makes me think of something else too, is like, why is that the, the dream? Why is it a topic to pretend about when you're little? Because, Um, right now, if I could go back to being four, I would literally never dream about or pretend that I was ever going to a job ever because now I'm 28 and I've been working for 10 years and I don't want to work. Like I want to like be super rich and not have to do that. So I, now it's funny from an adult perspective, I would never actually dream about having like a job and going to work. Uh, now I would dream about like winning lottery and going off to Tahiti. <laughs> so why is that like such a thing for a little girl to pretend that one day she could be a veterinarian or pretend that one day she could be a lawyer, pretend that one day she could be a mom or something, you know, um, when is it going to get to the point where you're pretending about, um, 
like writing the next big story or inventing something or um, being like a really good friend or why is it always, why are dreams and aspirations always so career focused Mm -hmm. and why are they always in roles where it's unexpected to see women? Mm -hmm. And what do little boys dream of doing now? I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. in the past they were more traditional, but what is the conversation to little boys about what they can pretend that they can be? And I guess when I think about it, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer. Do we see as many of these situations where their boys are purposely portrayed in these roles to inspire young boys? I don't know that we do. I think we just see men in these roles and then boys assume that they can do whatever that job is because there's someone that looks like them in that position. Right. And theirs might be more reserved for things that are really uncommon, like being an astronaut. I know obviously everyone dreams about being an astronaut, no matter like what your gender association and identity (laughs) is, but like being an astronaut, being a superstar professional athlete. So no matter like whether you're male, female, whatever your identity is, um, I think that it's more likely for a girl to have to pretend and dream about doing careers that are really common. And I would think, and this is purely anecdotal and not based on research or facts at all, that maybe boys are dreaming about the things that would be unlikely for anyone, not just because they're boys and it would be unlikely for them. It's just because 1% of the population makes it to being a professional athlete. Um, yeah. yeah. So I do, I wonder, so all of these campaigns are directed at young girls and I wonder, well, I wonder two things. First of all, should we be wary of where these messages are coming from? And the second thing I wonder is, do young girls need that help? And it's kind of the question, and I I addressed this a little bit last week, like is, I mean, the culture reflective of the media or is the media reflective of the culture? And I know it's really tough to say, but like I work with young girls and they seem to have, and they're in high school and they seem to have no problem um, identifying their dreams and picking things out and saying, yes, I can do that, even if it's something uncommon for a woman. And so sometimes when I say things to them about some issues or some roadblocks that they may come across, they're like, oh, that, that probably won't affect us. So I feel like maybe there's, it, it's the, the thing of the non-threatening girl versus the threatening woman, that these young girls won't experience those roadblocks until they reach that point in their life. Right now, they can't see them because they've been told, you can be whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, and they truly believe that. And I hope that they can, but I do know that they are going to come up against some adversity, um, probably because of their gender as they continue on in those roles. Yeah, I think um, this is actually very timely because I was just Um, listening to some research about Generation Z, which is anybody who has been born after 1996. And one of the dominant mindsets that comes out that came out of this research study was um, the overachiever. And then another one would be the self-assured person. And what they had in common was that there was no doubt in their mind. And this was specifically about um, whether they were going to go to college or not. And it was just a known thing like, yeah, I'm going to college. I don't know what I want to be yet, but I'm going to be it. And no no doubt there on either of those uh, groups of Generation Zers. And I think that maybe we're putting our own generational lean on what the future mm-hmm. for these girls could be or guys or whatever. Um, so who knows what it's going to look like, what the world's going to look like seven years from now when they graduate from college and start getting jobs. Maybe if everybody from Generation Z is entering the workforce, then they are, maybe they won't come across those barriers or um, discrimination that we seem to hear all the time, whether it's your friend or your mom or your grandma. Um, maybe it will be different for, for them, and I hope that it will be. Um, which actually, this leads me to a question for you, Kelsey. Have you, you work at an all-girls school, mm-hmm. obviously you're in education, which is a traditionally female pursuit, although I recently learned that in the past, really, men were only allowed to teach, like, mm-hmm. be, like, I think before like Westward Expansion or something, but um, in the workplace, have you ever experienced what you feel is discrimination because of your gender? Um, and do you feel comfortable sharing that? Um, I actually, I, I've thought about this a lot and I actually, being in the all girl environment, we do have mostly female teachers and I have not experienced it in that environment. Um, I did previously work in um, a public school And I don't believe that it was ever, maybe subtly, but never overtly 
um, did I experience that? What about um, in your personal life? Because I was thinking about this too. One of the questions that um, I was thinking about as I was preparing to be a guest on Womankind <laughs> was, um, what you know, what's a challenge of being a woman? What are things that you face? And I sometimes feel like when I I personally have been lucky enough where I don't think I've ever had an overt definitive situation where I have felt discriminated against because I am a woman. I'm sure there are like larger things that are happening that I might not even be aware of, or it's just like structural by like discrimination and bias against me. But I have, you know, I've never had someone tell me, no, you can't do this. Or like, we didn't hire you because you were a girl or X, Y, and Z. Um, luckily that's like mm-hmm. a very, I think that's like unusual and it's definitely because of being like privileged and lucky. So I was wondering if you have ever had mm-hmm. that. Like I've, I think the only thing that I can say, I have never experienced that from a professional standpoint and I've, I feel really grateful for that. I think the only thing that I have experienced related to that is like disgusting comments made by men mm-hmm. in bars and on the streets mm-hmm. and, um, one in particular that happened this year that was like so shocking that my jaw dropped on the floor and I was like rendered speechless. And I was like, is this what I have been reading about in these think pieces and blogs? Like, are these things that some women would just laugh at and go like, oh honey, like I've experienced that more times than you can count on two hands. Mm-hmm. So Sarah's putting me in the hot seat here on Womankind. <laughs> Interviewing um. the interviewer. <laughs> I mean, I, again, I professionally, I don't think I've ever experienced any overt discrimination um but I think that the thing that I have experienced is being having to say something um and I don't this could be professional this could be personal but I know that I've experienced this many times throughout my life um is being reduced to cute Mm -hmm. and if I have like something serious to say or I have specific knowledge about something having a man or some a peer tell me that, oh, oh, honey, that that's cute that you think that you know about that when it is something that, in fact, I do know about. Um, and so I, I can't think of any specific examples of it, but I just know that I do know that feeling well. And I also mm-hmm. know what, what you described, the mm-hmm. feeling of just being really creeped out by someone saying something inappropriate. Yeah, and um, I would guess that most of the men that I know in my life don't have to think about that or worry about that. Like when you are jolted out of having a fun time at a bar because of something completely disgusting that somebody says about like your body or your appearance or what you look like, or just your general person standing there, like no one should have to hear that stuff. And I feel like, you know, you develop this armor as an adult woman to just kind of like turn the other way or just chalk it up to people being like ignorant. And I think that goes back to this disgusting act, lewd act of this, guy humping the statue of a little girl like what like that is absolutely terrible just because of the symbolic nature of that act and um you know why isn't that person like arrested and put in jail because that something like that shouldn't happen ever and unfortunately that happens not just to artwork but to living and breathing human beings and um I just I can't imagine if it was a statue of a little boy with holding like a baseball bat and like the pitchers met I doubt the act of like the sexual act would happen there be allusion to a sexual Mm -hmm. act would happen to that statue and I think that's really representative of a whole layer of existence that 50% of the population doesn't have to consider when they're out walking around in their Mm day-to-day lives Mm -hmm. that's absolutely true it's something that I mean most women think about probably on a daily basis without even knowing that you're Mm -hmm. thinking about it it's just like oh I'm running outside and there's a guy on the street who's like looking at my body up and down okay well I'm gonna cross the street now or like I'm out at a bar and this person says something okay well no one said anything like that to my boyfriend tonight so we had two different completely different nights and experiences going out like why do you always have to be like on guard or aware of it Mm -hmm. um it's the same thing I guess I don't know. I think it's like if you get robbed and you you feel like your house is violated and the person who lives next door didn't have to experience that. So they can't like relate to you. So then it just perpetuates and goes on. But, um, why is it okay for people to like say things like this in the first place or perform acts like acts like that or, um, or just do any of that? Like where, when is it going to stop? And that is the question, Sarah. <laughs> like, yeah. That is Long the pause. question. <laughs> I just got, I feel like I just got really heated about that for a moment, but I just, 
something that I don't understand is like from the male side of things. I think it's extremely clear. I would be, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a woman who didn't want that to go away. So like, why do men want that for themselves? I think it's just a matter of not having had the experience of that happening to them. Like it happens to most women with such frequency um, that it, it kind of is mind blowing that like, how can this happen so much? But I think like men, you're just trading war stories sometimes right. when you get together with your girlfriends. And I think men maybe just because they haven't had that experience, they don't realize like that a seemingly innocent or like innocuous comment that doesn't seem to have a consequence can really land in a very mm-hmm. hard or harsh or creepy way. And then, I mean, uh, so an episode, I think it was episode two, we talked about um, the women in Mexico City who, when someone harasses them on the street, they take out a gun and aim it at them, and then it shoots glitter. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, it gives those men the, a moment of experiencing, like, oh, okay, something bad like is happening act, to like me. Like an There's... unusual act mm-hmm. back to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think That's that gives a little, maybe, empathy or perspective, um, doing something back. But I don't know. I would not be comfortable doing something like that because I would be afraid of the retaliation. Yeah, I um, I totally understand. And even if it's not, um, like, physical retaliation, I think it's just the act of confronting something. Mm-hmm. Like, you really – I know, at least for me, and this might just be a personality thing – I really need to be like on my game. And when I'm surprised or caught off guard by something, which these things usually are surprising and you're not planning on, you're not prepared to address them if you're just out having fun. Um, Something that I really struggled with earlier in the year was a man said an extremely disgusting comment about me at a bar when my back was to him and I heard it. And I was like completely frozen with like, I was like paralyzed by like fear and shock and I have never experienced that in my life before. I've obviously have never had like my personal safety violated. I didn't feel like I was in an unsafe situation because it was just like a stupid comment, but the feeling of being rendered completely silent to the point where like I didn't, I didn't even have a thought in my head to turn around to him and give him a piece of my mind, which now in the months, I still think about this. And in the months following, I have so many things to say and I have so many questions that I want to ask him. And I have so many reasons why that was wrong. And I want to tell him that, but why in the moment did I not do that? It was because I was shocked, but then it's also like, I don't want to confront this person in a bar right now and like ruin the night. And that whole, that whole feeling of like women's guilt, like I don't want to upset anything and I don't want to do anything. And I, it's fine. I'll just like go back and internalize it and not have to like deal with that. It's okay. Like, I think that is, um, that is disenfranchising yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's what I realized about that situation. And he probably never thought about it again. Exactly. Which is the unfairness to the situation. Exactly. And I have thought about that too. Yeah, that's a good. That's exactly mm-hmm. true. So I realize that we're pretty far into this episode and we have not yet introduced our guest. Oh, mystery <laughs> um, woman. <laughs> so Sarah Makieski, we met through our men, actually. Mm-hmm. Sarah's fiance and my boyfriend are best friends and... Through them. What up, Tony and Dan? (laughs) If you're listening. (laughs) They better be listening. Um, And through them, we've become friends. So here Mm -hmm. we are. Here we are in Womankind. Yeah, I was really happy to um, meet Kelsey because not only is she like a very intelligent person with thoughtful things to say, um, I also think that it was like Kelsey's really good at speaking her mind. So it does not surprise me at all that this podcast would come from you because I feel like the one quality that I associate with Kelsey is that like... She will, like, tell you what she thinks without feeling bad about it, like I was just describing, so... Wow, you picked up that already? (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, I've seen you give my boyfriend or fiancé some sass, and I'm like, yes, that's, like, perfect. And it's, like, said in a way where you can't really get mad at you, and I think that's, like, a really good quality to possess. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Compliment. (laughs) Yeah, this is part of the show where my guests compliment me. (laughs) We're lifting each other up as females. Um, So, Sarah, I want to hear a little bit of your story right now. Tell our audience about you. Okay, well, if you already haven't picked up on me and my personality, I feel like I have, like, a jumble of thoughts in my head at all times, and they sometimes come out in a disorganized way. So if I've offended anyone up until this point or if it hasn't made sense, um, I apologize for that. (laughs) I just feel like sometimes I, like, get on a roll and 
I don't even know what I'm saying. So I think that that actually is like part of my story. I am a writer and I'm extremely interested in words and language and storytelling. And it's something that I'm constantly trying to refine and, um, and edit and change and self edit and go back and revise. You can't often do that in conversation, but I do that professionally and I love it. I think that, um, you know, it's what I was made to do and I feel really lucky to be gainfully employed in that capacity and also um, pursue that on a personal level as well. So um, outside of the what do you do question, I guess my story is just that I am, I think I'm a, I spend a lot of time with my thoughts um, inside my own head. I think about things a lot. I internalize pretty much like everything that I see. And then the output from that is, you know, manifesting the, it's really important for me for that to manifest in meaningful relationships like people with Kelsey, like with people like Kelsey, um, our other female friends that we know, my mom, my sisters, um, my coworkers, uh, female bosses that I have and have had. I think that those are, those are things that are constantly shaping my story, whether I realize it or not. And I would say that my story right now is constantly in flux. I'm entering into a phase of my life where it's going to become decidedly traditionally female, having been recently engaged and with a wedding on the horizon and becoming someone's wife, which is like making my stomach hurt thinking about the <laughs> officialness of that. Um, it's like such a, it's such an interesting thing to be going through that in a time where you can literally do and be anything that you want. And um, that is really what I want to do. I find that I, as I'm getting older um, and now in a serious relationship, I do want the traditional female pursuits. I really like being a woman. I like being a feminine woman. Um, I like sharing those interests with my friends and not sharing that interest with some of my friends. And I really just like, I think that I absorb a lot from the people around me and whether I let that influence me or not. Um, I still appreciate the contributions that people have made to my story. Um, and I'm a Buffalo girl through and through. So <laughs> that is, that is another footnote to my story. I'm happy, happy to be here. So I, you've touched on this a little bit, but what does it mean to be a woman in 2017? And if you want to add on to that, what does it mean to you specifically to be a woman in 2017? Um, I think that the conversation has been always there for, you know, from the time I was little, you said earlier, you're, you were told from the time you're young that you can do anything. Oop, sorry. Little mic drop there. Drop the mic without even meaning to. Okay. 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 Um, all right. We're good. Yeah. We're good. Um, I think that being a woman in 2017, I think that there is a now an extreme focus on your gender identity and what it means to be a woman in a way that I had not really thought about before. I'm thinking, you know, when I was in college or before then, I wasn't really going around. I knew that I was a girl, obviously, and um, feel lucky to have known that definitively. Um, I now think that when things happen like the International Women's Day and the Women's March and you turn around and it work and everyone's wearing a red shirt to signify women in the workplace, like there really is an extreme attention paid to the story of women right now. And I think that's really, really important. And in 2017, what I noticed is different about that is um, I notice it and pick up on it in my daily life in a way that I didn't used to. So I think maybe it's just like the media bubble that I am personally living in. But um, I think I just think there was like a huge awareness and a huge effort to make people aware of women. And I think women are awesome and they always have been and hope that with this newfound voice that has been possibly re-found re and resourced after the Trump election, um, I hope that that just continues to get stronger because I like hearing the story of women. I think women make the world turn and always have. And in 2017, that message is even more important than it ever has been. And as for me, being a woman in 2017, like I said before, this is going to be the year where I go through all of the, where I pursue female roles and traditions in this environment of wanting to be empowered and wanting to be a feminist and wanting to have these beliefs. And I think that it really is true now more than ever that you can do anything that you want and you can hold beliefs that might sometimes be in conflict. And I think it is a cliche to, you know, paint feminists as like, this person who's wearing like trucker boots and doesn't shave their armpits and like doesn't wear a bra, like feminist feminists can look and be 
anywhere, look like anything, be anywhere. They are everywhere. And I, um, I really think that. So for me being a woman in 2017, I'm happy that I'm a woman. I would not want to be a man personally. Um, <laughs> I, just, I, I really like being a girl. I think that's something that I like kind of came to womankind wanting to discuss is like, um, my identity and I when I'm walking around in the world I feel like generally happy like I haven't really been like up against it I haven't been like suppressed or challenged and I really have always liked being a woman I think it's like a beautiful thing and really happy that I'm not a guy (laughs) no offense I I like that answer we haven't had that answer yet so I've noticed you don't really shy away from the word feminism yeah I um, did not even really know that it was a thing this is probably embarrassing but I didn't realize that there was like, that was such a hot word. Like it's such a controversial word until, Oh my God, this is like really embarrassing until I think like Taylor Swift started saying she was a feminist and people were like, or or she started saying it. And then there was a lot of conversation around it and people, she had to respond and say like, I'm not afraid to say that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know that people were afraid to say that. I I don't know. I feel like ignorant about that. Can maybe there are some listeners out there who would want to know why that's a controversy. That's well, we talked about that a little bit. I don't, last week, oh yeah, because I, so I called Maria out last week because she was a person who said she was afraid of that word, and we, we talked it out, and, um, really, I guess I am trying to find more people that are more fear, more fearful of the word, the word, and determining whether it's, like, a misunderstanding that makes it that way, or, I mean, I, I know that Sarah from two weeks ago, I said that, and I both said that we find it to be a very inclusive word, but I think there are many people that don't find it inclusive. I think um, that part of the problem maybe is like the word feminist is, can be so cliched and can convey mm-hmm. such a stereotype that um, even though it could be a one size fits all, it, or it's not, I'm sorry, it's not mm-hmm. a one size fits all thing. It takes many shapes and forms, but I think because of the stereotype, people think that if I mm-hmm. say I'm a feminist, I am this caricature of a woman that I don't want to be. So I'm not going to call mm-hmm. myself that, but I think that it's really hard for me to imagine a woman out there who wouldn't want to achieve the things that feminist thinking want, wants like to achieve voting. Exactly. Voting, <laughs> um, having a choice being, to be what you want to be. Right. Exactly. Not feeling bad about who you are and not feeling lesser than mm-hmm. like whether you are, whatever side of the political spectrum you fall on, whatever side of the social spectrum you fall on, I don't think anybody wants to feel lesser than. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you want to feel equal to, then you are a feminist. Mm -hmm. And so I have to comment on the table. I've been a champion of Taylor Swift for a very long time. Um, Oh, we talked about that when we were in Colorado. I forgot about that. (laughs) But I do do see, I, I guess maybe from the controversy around Taylor Swift and the word feminism, I saw some comments around um, the Women's March and International Women's Day, like, okay, Taylor Swift, where are you now? You Mm -hmm. said you were a feminist, and where are you now? And I think that Taylor Swift kind of is the epitome of, like, a a white feminist, and I think that that's a turnoff to a lot of people, and I also think that maybe this under... There is this underpinning of maybe... um, I don't know, in order to be a feminist, you should be taking action in some way. And I guess some people were maybe judging mm-hmm. the action of Taylor Swift and it, it didn't um, meet the standard of, I guess, what the word feminist, the, the standard of action that goes along with the word feminist. And I mean, I guess, that's not fair to judge her based on that, I guess, but I, guess, I, I can see where that judgment would come from because she wasn't involved in those things and she was calling herself a feminist but she to me I think she just like seemed like she thought because she adopted this group of friends that were girls and she said nice things about them and did nice things for them I presume that that made her this like feminist but at the same time you hear these I if you remember when um she was criticizing Tina Fey and Amy Poehler for saying that, like, women don't tear each other down, women support each other up. It, like, maybe she was just, like, clinging to these, like, ideals of, like, what a feminist should be. And it was, like, mm-hmm. easy for her to adopt some of them and not others, which mm-hmm. is what a lot of people do. And, like you said, no judgments. But, mm-hmm. yeah, where she's been awfully quiet lately with mm-hmm. all this stuff going on. I'm also very wary of where messages are coming from. Um, and so this goes back to this... The fearless girl 
the statue, she's been put there by an investment company. And so Taylor Swift is also like a multi-million dollar like franchise basically at this point. And so, and not that if there's big money behind something that that doesn't mean that it's positive, but it's kind of like, you know, these companies that are now putting out like t-shirts, like, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not like picking on this particular brand, but like the future is female and things like that. Like, and now targeting, um, different things that you wear towards women. But I feel like that's kind of a double edged sword because just, are you really doing something just by wearing a t-shirt? And I don't, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that question. It's just some things that I've been thinking about where the messages are coming from and what messages are being sold to us that are not in our control. Yeah. And I think that it's really important because, you know, no one's going to argue with the future is female t-shirt messaging. Like you might really like that and want to adopt that and wear it proudly. Um, but whether it's an idea and a value system that you agree with or don't agree with, you're still being fed ideas. And the, the only time we think that it's bad to be fed ideas is when they're ideas we don't agree with. But I think that being fed ideas in general is dangerous, whether you agree with it or not. Um, like the Dove Real Beauty campaign, it's been you know going on for eight years right now. Dove is like a huge corporation, which like produces a lot of things that make a lot of money. And they've co-opted this sense of like, body positivity which is great but whose pockets are that is that lining at the end of the day and you know I'm not going to tell someone to not be inspired by the Dove commercials of 2009 and 2012 when it was really like um, shaking things up in the advertising world but just because you agree with it doesn't mean that there's something problematic about somebody that you don't know feeding ideas into your mind that and perhaps producing thoughts that you might not think yourself or not know how to discern those thoughts and arrive at your own conclusions. Because if you're just seeing um, female empowerment marketing and messaging everywhere, yeah, like that's great. But have you been ever given the chance to decide whether or not that's something you align with or is it just something you feel like you should align with because it's popular now and being fed to you? Mm -hmm. And I do think that there is um, the sense of people, I think females of our generation where it's just like in don't take offense to this, Kelsey, because you're running this podcast. And <laughs> like, I, I know like a lot and it's not anything that's targeted at you, but I think it's like this general assu- assumption that like, oh yeah, because you're like a young woman, like you definitely believe in like female empowerment. And I think that everybody should, I said that before, but I think that there's also this lack of awareness that this might not be an issue that a lot of people care about. Like a lot of women care about. I think there are people who don't ever think about it at all. Don't worry about it. But what I was going to say, and I don't know why I said don't be offended by this, because it literally has nothing to do with you. Um, that was weird. I, I'm not I don't offended. Wanna, I don't want to. I don't want to be mad at me. Um, I think that sometimes, and this is with any sort of belief system that I think is a, widely adopted by people of our generation. If you don't align yourself with that, there's this like shame language and shaming mm-hmm. around it, like oh, well, you you didn't go to the Women's March, so, like, what were you doing with your time? I saw that on Facebook. That, like, people my age were posting, and it's like, well, what if you, like, just didn't want to? Like, what if you didn't feel comfortable going there? Or not that you don't believe in it, but why is it, like, unless you believe what I believe, I'm going to make you feel bad or ashamed about that? And I do think that that's, like, a really easy thing for people to do when they have their keyboard and they're not, like, having a conversation about it. That's a byproduct of that, of course, too. But sometimes I feel like um, there's this, like, just general assumption that, like, oh, yeah, everyone's going to agree and be that way. And that's probably why ideas are fed to us so easily. Well, I mean, my my hope with that is that, like, like people are thoughtful about it and making their yeah. own decisions. Um but I think part of it is also um, a lack of awareness and a, a lack of awareness of privilege in a lot of cases because I feel like sometimes the people who say things like, like oh, we don't need the Women's March or we don't mm-hmm. need this or we don't need that um, are people that actually really haven't had to think about it mm-hmm. and good for them, but there are a lot of people that are suffering on a daily basis mm-hmm. because of these things. Yeah, and I think also people who were going to the no, not the Women's March, like that day where everyone was supposed to like Mm -hmm. call in sick and not go to Mm -hmm. work. It's like, well, there are a lot of women who can't because they won't be able Mm -hmm. to feed their family. So like the person who is like very well-intentioned being like, oh my God, if no woman went, no women went to work tomorrow, Mm -hmm. 
we would see how big of an influence it is. And it's like, but where is that awareness that like, that is right. Financially, physically, psychologically, whatever, not an option for a lot of people Mm -hmm. who don't have paid vacation days or who Mm -hmm. just simply can't, or they're the only breadwinner. So I think that like, there are these like segments of the population and like, you can't just like any sort of like broad generalization is never going to work for everybody. But what, what do you think then given that thought, what do you think are things that everybody, no matter who you are, could adopt and agree on and do without it like demarcating people based on privilege or do you, do you mean in relation to women? Yeah. Like just like women's issues. Like what do you think are things Um, that everybody can like unite and get behind no matter who you are? I don't think, honestly, I don't think that there is anything. There are a lot of things that I hope that people can get behind. And this is just kind of like an on-the-fly answer. I haven't yeah, really given this a lot of thought. question, too. <laughs> but I guess, you know, for every, I mean, I believe it, that men and women should be equal. But I think that there are a lot of people out there, and um, specifically people who are religious that don't believe that men and women are equal, who believe that men and women are biologically um, different and believe that men and women should take on different roles. And that's, I mean, that women should be submissive to men. And I think there's a pretty large population of people that believe in that. And so I don't think that there is going to be anything that everyone will agree on, but I just at least hope that we can move in a direction where people are able to adopt um, ideas that give people more autonomy over themselves and give people more freedom. Yeah. And I don't know who could ever argue with that. I have also heard, I've actually heard people say like, you know, no, like that's like my husband. I can never say that to him or no, the husband, the man of the house should be doing this. A woman in the household can never do this. I feel really lucky that I was raised in like probably the opposite sort of ideological situation. Um, I think that's like a great thing, but yeah, you're right. There are people who truly believe in that. And I think who would be scared to break out of those roles and relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to move into subversive stories in just a minute, but Sarah, is there anything that you wanted to add about being a woman or um, things, an issue that really stands out to you? Is there anything else that you wanted everyone to know about yeah I think um something that I think about a lot is and I this is before 2017 um I think that women are in a position where you have to do it all because you know women in the past couldn't do anything so now there's like these young women and so grateful to be a part of it where it's like make sure you have a job so you have your financial independence so that you can always make sure to take care of yourself Um, if you choose to have your own child, you literally will be carrying it inside of your body and then you have to get your body back. So it like looks good in clothes if that's important to you. Um, you have to go to work and also raise your family at the same time. Um, you have to do like all these things and you have to have your own car. You should have your own apartment or buy a house in your name. You should, um, also have a successful relationship with a man who respects and loves you. You should, um, be doing awesome in your career. You should have outside pursuits. You should know how to cook. You should know how to make art. You should dress really nicely. You should have like a funny and engaging personality. You shouldn't be mean to other women because that is like a terrible thing to do and so on and so forth. So I think that sometimes I feel overwhelmed by the pressure to do that all. And I know I'm that exhausted just hearing yeah, all that. <laughs> exactly. It is exhausting to think about. And, um, I think that, That is like really a tough, I think that's one of the questions that Kelsey had asked was like, what is hard about being a woman? And I wanted to answer that question because I feel like, although I have not experienced like a lot of challenges because of what my gender identity is, um, or whatever, I don't know the right terminology of how to say that, but, um, (laughs) but I think that that is something that's really hard. And that is something that I experience. Um, I, I feel this pressure that I, you need to do everything. You need to be everything. You need to know how to plan things. You need to pull off this really cool party. You need to cook for it. You need to think about having your own kid one day. You're doing this, you're doing this. And I think that is a great thing to be so empowered that you feel like you can do it all. But I don't 
think sometimes it's always easy to have that pressure to think that you should do it all. Um, and I do think that generationally, um, I think that this message of female empowerment, we focus so much on the girls and what girls can do and what they should be and who they should be and how they should carry it out that the, the boys have left, been left behind. And I think that's rendered a generation of men who are like having no expectations of them. And that's something that I see none of my friends included. I just want to say that I know like a lot of really great men, my family, the men in my family are awesome, but I look around and it's like, you know, guys don't even need to return your text message anymore if they're dating you. Like, there's no ex- there are no expectations of men of of young men anymore, and there are infinite expectations of women. And while that's empowering, it feels like a lot of pressure. And I just feel like you need to be all things at all times, and that can be really hard. That's a theme that I've heard from a few guests now that there's this pressure to be everything, um, and it's really hard. <laughs> and like, think about the women that like you hear about a lot. And like, people always praise, like they're doing so many things. It's like, they're on the PTA, they're a mom, they're a, they're a super good employee. They have like a high position at their work. They also know how to cook and they ski and they're writing a book <laughs> and they have a bunch of friends and they always make their coffee dates. And they're like, they seem to have a really healthy marriage too. And I know these are like the stories that we curate about ourselves, but like, those are always the women that you hear are being praised. Like, what about the woman who just like sits on her couch as and is like a nice person but like doesn't have it all? Like, what, are we hearing about her too? I don't know. But are those stories real? <laughs> exactly. Right. I don't know. That it's all what's presented on the surface. Mm-hmm. I think like your grandma's story was real. She's a woman who mm-hmm. did it all. You know. Yep. I think that, and th- that's like a story that I. But I don't think that that was easy by any means. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think it was probably extremely hard, especially at that time too when you know when she was a young woman mm-hmm. and she was also someone that didn't things. work outside the home she did a lot of volunteer work but she didn't work outside the home um, because that wasn't really an expectation at the time which is interesting and um I guess I can reveal like one of my like deepest darkest secrets about like being a woman is like oh by, I know on womankind is like I really like I love being empowered and being able to do anything, but like sometimes I have this like little secret voice inside of me where I'm like, I wish that there wasn't this expectation to work or like, I wish that there wasn't this expectation to do it all. Or I wish that like, I wish that there was just some like larger force at play that was like, you know, you have to stay home and like have like five kids and like bake cupcakes with them and like make art projects and then like do that. Like, I don't really want that. I don't think, but sometimes every once in a while there is this little voice inside Mm -hmm. of me where I'm like, can I just be in a position where there's like going to be a man that takes care of me and like, it's okay. Like I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want that for my life. But sometimes when I think things get harder, I feel like under pressure, I like want that to be like an escape outlet. But would that, I feel like having five kids would be really hard. It would, but like, what, like if I, I could still have five kids right now, but I'd still have to go to work, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, Sometimes I do wish that there was a little bit of like the, I wish that from the past when things weren't as um, equal as they were before, sometimes one of the things I wish that we would have retained from that is like the sense of women should be taken care of. And Mm -hmm. I think that's such like a hard thing to say because that's so belittling and demeaning and looked like that for, uh, for hundreds of years. But I do wish that sometimes there was a sense of like, you know what, you're like a woman, like you shouldn't have to carry your bag of groceries to your car, even though I can do it. It's like, whereas like, I wish there was more of a focus and commitment to chivalry without that um, demeaning, belittling aspect that I think naturally comes with it. So I don't know, that's just, that's a random thought, but that is one of my deepest, darkest secrets about being a woman is like, Interesting. someone take care of me sometimes without <laughs> it meaning that I'm like, quote unquote, weak. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to have to move into subversive stories okay. now. I have a but good those one. are some good thoughts. <laughs> um, okay, so I have one that I wanted to talk about because Sarah and I are both in education. Um, and so this is an important female figure in education. And it's Mulala Yousafzai, who is fantastic and has done so much more in her short life than I maybe ever will in my life um same (laughs) so she was born in 1997 and she lived in the Swat Valley in Pakistan um and during her early life in Pakistan um the Taliban crept into that region and took over 
Um, and so actually, I had a lot of mis misconceptions about Pakistan before I read Malala's book. Um, I did not know that they had had a female president in the 80s. Um, and so it just goes to show, and we talked about this last week, telling a story of abundance with um, female leaders. But it just, I think that in the West, maybe traditionally, we don't really think of um, some countries in the Middle East as being progressive, um, but they were more progressive than we were on that, for sure. Um, and so women were in school, women had a, some, a lot of rights in Pakistan, um, but then the Taliban came in and they took all of those rights away. And so women were no longer allowed to be educated. Um, and so um, because of that, Malala was um, not allowed to go to school. And so she became an advocate for female education from a young age. And at 11 years old, the BBC commissioned her to write a blog about what it was like to be a female under Taliban rule um, in Pakistan. And so she was really on like... a a national and I think almost a global radar at that point at such a young age. Um, and because of that, there was a bounty put on her head by the Taliban. And as a result, when she was 15 years old in 2012, um, she was riding home from school on the bus um, at a time where females were not really permitted to go to school. Um, members of the Taliban got onto the bus, asked, where is Malala? And they identified her and shot her in the face. Um, and so from that moment, she they took her to a hospital and then she was eventually taken to England to recover. Um, and she has not stopped fighting since then. She continues to stand up for women's education. I think sadly, even to this day, she is not, she st there's still a bounty out for her life from the Taliban. So I don't think that she's returned to Pakistan. Um, but she's won so many awards. She's the youngest person to get the Nobel Peace Prize in 2014. Um, and then here's what she did. Sarah, what did you do for your 18th birthday? Because Malala opened up a school in Lebanon for Syrian refugees. Um, on my 18th birthday, I was celebrating it at college. And I got a salami sub from Uncle Sam's Diner in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and I walked it to a tree because it was a really nice October day. And I ate a salami sub under a tree on the University of Pittsburgh campus. Oh my gosh, that's so, an amazing so story. Basically, basically the same as what Malala did on her 18th birthday. Just a little bit different. I have no idea what I did for my 18th. Oh, wait, I do know. I went to the drive-in. Oh, okay. To see something. I don't know. I feel like it was a Pixar movie. Maybe it was. Could it have been um, Up? No. No. Okay. I'm older than. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought Up at a drive-in, so that was my like hail mary so, suggestion. Malala, I think, uh, yeah, she nailed it with yeah. that school. Um, and I just want to read this quote from her because I think it's just amazing. She's just, I, I don't know. I just just having. Reading about her life gives me such an appreciation for the things that I have, and I am so lucky to be, because education is such an important part of my life, and um, just to have that taken away would be a terrible thing. And so I salute her for fighting for these people, but here's a quote that she wrote. It says, the shocking truth is that world leaders have the money to fully fund primary and secondary education around the world, but they are choosing to spend it on other things, like their military budgets. In fact, if the whole world stopped spending money on the military for just eight days, we could have $39 billion still needed to provide 12 years of free quality education to every child on the planet. So I'll just leave you with that thought and we'll go into Sarah's story. Oh my god. Um, it is literally the opposite. Um, subversive in a different way. And thank you really quick before getting into it. Thanks for sharing that about Malala because um, I think that she's such a known name or at least I hope that she is to most people. I think I think I can safely say that she is. Um, I think that her story is one that is one that is really important to read because as an advocate for education it also seems to me like she is extremely concerned with are extremely aware of the power of words and what words can do for people and the kind of messages that they can communicate. So even if you just go and like read her quotes, like mm -hmm. that's one of many, many, many inspirational mm -hmm. and powerful things that she says. And I think that she just is like a human that was put on this earth to make a difference. And Absolutely. I think that is awesome. 
Um, and she's her a great story. Her book is amazing. Um, I am Malala, and I, she's also created a hashtag hashtag books not bullets. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> the, like I wish the mic would drop now because that is like a mic drop hashtag for sure. Um, I am. I don't even know if I should get into this story about a subversive woman, but it's subversive in a different way. Um, this woman's story is one that I discovered when I was bored one day a couple of years ago at work and I was just like clicking through the internet and the Wikipedia story of the day was about a woman, a 19th century woman named Beth Gunnison. It's G-U-N-N-E-S-O-N. And it was one of those things where I started reading it and you have to look it up, whoever is listening, because I started reading it and it's like, okay, like normal birth, death dates, like whatever. And then as you get into the details of her story, your jaw will just be like on the floor that somebody actually was able to carry this down. And she was a serial killer and (laughs) subversive, like that is like the definition of the word subversive to me. But I think what's really interesting about her story, basically, um, I'm probably getting the details wrong, but she um, was an immigrant. She was a Swedish immigrant came to the United States, and um, over time, everyone in her family died under mysterious circumstances. Like, she had four children and a husband, and they all died, and she got a really big fat insurance payment out of it, moved to the Midwest on this, like, farmhouse, and would lure men through basically what at the time I think were, like, personal ads to come to her farms, her homestead, her farm, and they would go missing, And she would, like, attempt to marry them and did marry a couple of them and got life insurance payouts from them. And it's funny when you're reading it because it's so obvious. Like, anyone who's living in a post-law and order SVU world sees the pattern there. But, you know, at the time, I don't think anyone was probably paying attention. Probably because she was a woman and it was like, oh, a woman would never do that. And I think it's really interesting that she... I think she ended up murdering like 47 men and like burying them in like the pig pit and her, and her farm. And she had a farmhand who was a man helping her carry out these like burials. I think she was either poisoning them or executing them somehow. And then they just go missing. And the reason why she came to mind as a subversive female, I don't, obviously she was like a horrible person and was probably like rotting in hell right now. But I really think she used the like charms of what it meant to be a woman to lure men into her clutches and then to, murder them for money and that is like a twist on like first of all she wasn't caught by the police for several years decades even because she was a woman and no one would ever suspect that a mother would murder her children or a wife would murder their husband like no one everyone felt bad for her actually like she was a woman left alone a widow um and then by playing up this like love and romance affection relationship through letters to men that she would lure to her property she was able to ensnare her victims and her clutches so that is like totally turning what it means to be a woman on your head she like used it in the worst way possible um but really interesting that there in the end of the day it was like all the people who came to her were doing so on this basis and tacit understanding of like oh this is a woman that i'm going to see it'll be fine and it wasn't so watch (laughs) out men so all of a sudden, Womankind has become my favorite murder, which is one of my favorite podcasts. So shout out to Karen and Georgia. Um, so something, so I do listen to my favorite murder. Okay. I've never heard of it. I'm it, going to start listening. It's a great to podcast. It. Okay. Um, so on that podcast, they describe different murders throughout history, and something that I have noticed is that it's very, very rare for the perpetrator to be a woman Mm -hmm. um so that's a very interesting story that the the person who was committing these murders was a woman yeah and I think especially with serial killers like they are often like they have the xyy extra chromosome or there's like they're hyper masculine or like hyper male um and have like all this like testosterone and like traditionally like things that are traditionally associated with men and like the whole like violent aspect of it um the whole control dominance aggression and women can be that too obviously no one should ever murder anyone like god forbid but i think it's very interesting that what it seems to me like female serial killers use the charms of sex or the mm-hmm. charms of um femininity or womanhood mm-hmm. to act upon their murderous desires mm-hmm. Wow, what an interesting story. I That's not what I was expecting at all. I know. She is like, I I just cannot believe it. It's always stuck with me because it is like the definition of subversive to me. Mm-hmm. And she got some mm-hmm. pretty fat insurance payouts and literally buried like 47 men in a mm-hmm. hog pit. So look it up. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So, Sarah, is there anything else that the world needs to know about women before we sign off today? Um, I think that one thing everybody should know about women, and I had just heard this the other day when I was talking to a friend, um, and he actually said, um, and I'm just going to quote him here, he said, women are goddesses. And, you know, in ancient times, they were literally and figuratively goddesses um and that's never gone away and even though we're living in times that look really different from then and the role of women is constantly changing and evolving i think at the end of the day women are and always will be goddesses and they make the world turn so i hope everybody knows that and appreciates that oh that's the perfect way to end women <laughs> are goddesses sarah thank you so much for being on the show thank you kelsey um, and remember, if you are interested in being a guest, just go to womankindpodcast.com and send us an email. Um, and thank you for listening. Bye. Mm-hmm.